BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello, Doug Mellard. What's up, Doug Benson? Well, I'll tell you what's up. Today, we're going to be joined once again by Anthony Atamanik. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess so nice we're uh, having him on twice. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. We, we, let, we let the audience know, and we'll just get spent, on back in there. Yeah, we spent the entire uh, first episode just learning how to say his name. Yeah, it took that long. And so, yeah, and so now we still have lots of uh, lots of questions. Did you think of anything you wanted to ask him in in the week since we talked to him? I still want to know how to pronounce his name. I just told you as Atamanic. <laughs> <laughs> Atamanic. I'm very Atamanic. forgetful. There, there you go. Got it. Animania. Well, you could ask I remember him it sounded close. You, you asked ask him, him if it sounded. Close to Animaniac, and that's how you remember. Because that's kind of close. Kind of. <laughs> uh, I just, uh, I, I, I want to call him a Tama Nick at night. <laughs> Solid nickname. <laughs> yeah. You know I'm all about giving everybody nicknames. I love it. Isn't that I'm right, still, Doug? <laughs> I'm still calling my, <laughs> still calling my buddy uh, Piccolo Joe. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, sticking. That one's hanging in there. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I guess there's nothing more to say other than uh, let's go to work. Hello again. <laughs> Hello. It's Thursday, February 9th. How's your week been, Anthony? Uh pretty good. I went I went uh went home to see the parents uh and then played uh 25 Hold'em live and uh oh. pulled down about almost 2500, which is pretty good off the table. Sure. And uh and then got out of there, you know. Yeah, got the You're hell out player. of there. You're a good player. I'm a decent player. I'm, you go I'm, in, uh, yeah, go in, get out, play. Yeah, well, because also, you know, that's the thing about just showing up at a casino and sitting down at a table is nobody knows your play. I mean, you don't know anybody else's either, generally. But it's still like a, it's a great way to just get out of there before anybody figures out what you're up to. 
Yes, and it's funny too because there's this one guy is at the table who's been there like the last few times. So I actually had one person. I saw him. He goes, "Oh, hey, man!" And I went, "Hey, I'm like, how are you?" And he's like one of those, you know, how you encounter those sort of utility players who like, if they know you at all, they'll sort of like play fair with you. Like if they have it, they'll show. They'll kind of like let you know by their bets and stuff. And so it was nice that he was there because he was sort of like a good balancer. And then the guy I ripped the most money off of was like, he looked like one of those guys in his 20s who like, you know, studied game theory or whatever. And he's like playing Hold'em on his phone while sitting at the table. You know, all these sort of intimidation things with the headphones on, right? Acting like, yeah. you know. And you're just <laughs> sitting there going, how many of you, like, you know, how many of you assholes were wearing, like, lizard glasses when Moneymaker was doing it? Like, it's so sad. Because to me, I'm like, I just like playing cards. And if there's a theory out there, uh, I don't want to know it. I don't care that much to know. And, uh, but I know cards. So, like... I just I got him on like a two pair, like a king six two pair, and he just bet me and bet me and bet me, and I call like I called the last bet instead of even raising him, and I said what what do you have? I go did you get the ace in the river? And I you know show my stuff, and he goes I had a queen, you know he like a queen he had like nothing he had like a queen high in his hand, and I went what 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 were you doing? He goes you shouldn't have been in that hand, and I go but I was. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was so i don't know what to tell you man yeah that's my favorite is the guy that explains to you why you shouldn't have won the hand <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> so. it's such a weird weird concept but you know i mean because a lot of times they're right but you know hey i'm here to gamble i, I sometimes i'll win a hand because i'm fucking around yeah you know <laughs> yeah stick that in your game theory yeah you just got to change it up you know you can't you know uh, especially if you're there to, I, when I'm playing, I'm there to have fun or, you know, yes. my idea of fun. I don't mind sitting there quietly and playing, but, but I do like, um, chatting it up. Know, I, I do like, yeah, just like, you know, being unpredictable. Yes. You know, exactly. cause then that way you can uh, win a little money, especially if somebody sits down that clearly doesn't know what they're doing, which, you know, happens yes. a lot in these days. Yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, well, I'm thrilled to hear that you're out there playing cards with strangers and touching the cards and sitting close together. And uh, oh, I have know. a mask. I am. Listen, I have a mask on. <laughs> I have a mask on. I sit there. I then rinse my hands every half hour. I get up, take a break, and go rinse my hands. But my favorite is, you know, no one wears masks at the fucking tables anymore, right? And I had right. a guy in Canada just recently. We're sitting there, and this guy was sort of like an old wise ass. He goes, turns to me at one point, he goes, "What are you? What were you wearing a mask? You a doctor?" And I <laughs> and I went, "No." I said, "I don't know if you know, man, but there's this like terrible uh, global pandemic that's like killed like millions of people." I said, "So uh, that's why I'm wearing it." And he goes, "Oh, yeah, I don't believe it." And I went, "You don't?" I said, "Okay." I said you know, give me your contact info. So I know where to send the wreath <laughs> oh, and, the table, and the table was like, Whoa. And I, and I went, Hey, I didn't say shit. I was just wearing my mask. If, but if you, that's my whole thing. I don't care if you don't want to get vaxxed you, I, whatever at this point, I don't give a fuck. I can't get worked up about it. But what I can't stand is when the same people who are like, leave me alone, like leave my body out of it. Like, don't tell me to wear a mask, whatever. Have, pipe in. 
on yeah. you and go, yeah. well, look at you. And it's like, wait, I this can't cut both directions that both you're a selfish asshole and you want to impose it on me. Like, no, you know, no way. Yeah, it's uh, strange how how they want to uh, like start a sh have a shitty conversation with you about their shitty choice instead of let letting you just have your your own choice. Yeah, that just doesn't, doesn't affect them. It doesn't affect them. It's merely yeah. seeing it makes them think of oh, the government is controlling all of us. You know, and, oh, I know. You know, they want to recruit everybody to be just free and in danger. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you need to get those. You need to get free and danger, and you have to have those sovereign citizen papers. I, I just love the stuff that's like developed in the last few years that that has always been around, like the sovereign citizen thing, all that stuff. But it was always sort of like, if I grew up in Boston, right? Like in Cambridge, Massachusetts, there'd be like the guy in Harvard Square with the Lyndon LaRouche card table, and he'd have some paraphernalia and. You know, they'd tell you how you could declare you're a sovereign citizen and there's a provision in the Constitution that allows it. But it was like, you know, it was like more watching Morton Downey Jr. Like it was something that was just so <laughs> fucking fringe that you're like, yeah, OK, whatever. Let let them have it, you know. And now it's like there's whole movements that are like legitimate movements that are just these card table people who are now like taken seriously. That's the, I think anyone, at least my age, I'm, you know, 48, I, I sort of look at the world and go, wow, there was this weird flip where we like became the Jenny Jones show. Like we just became <laughs> that. Like, and it used to be that we looked at that like in the zoo and maybe that was the problem is that we looked at it in the zoo too much. And then eventually we were in the zoo, the morning zoo. <laughs> <laughs> i'll shut up now this isn't this how we ended up having a me to have to come back here a second time if i just keep talking you're never going to get to your questions <laughs> well that's uh you know um what we wanted to talk to you about today do you mind just filibustering because we're both a little tired a little run down <laughs> sure, and sure. uh we just want to listen like to you talk too <laughs> fortunately my feeling like shit does not bar me from talking <laughs> i, I know, should feel a lot man? better than i do right now i mean I, I allergies are being weird but uh I, and it's bumming me out because i should be just uh you know 100 percent happy and ready to go because uh the third season of uh the picard star trek show oh, is yeah. having its uh premiere tonight at the chinese theater in hollywood and i get to go rub elbows with all those uh you know, oh, classic dude, that, star are you trek serious characters. yeah so wait so uh, and i'm uh, sneezing like crazy <laughs> Yeah, you better get that shit under. You got to get Dr. Crusher. You should go up to Dr. Crusher and be like, do you have one of your, like, you know, futuristic stims? Go to Gates McFadden. You know what? The, my, you ever see the Gates McFadden um, Im improvised dance video that she did? Uh, probably, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm not know, picturing it right now. Oh, my God. I remember it was, like, in the mid-'90s. <laughs> I think I got a tape. Because that's because you it's funny. I think you you live in L.A. now, obviously, but like I, we both lived in L.A. in the 90s. And there was a period of like tape passing. Right. Where like if you worked in production or in any you'd get these VHSs of these weird things. So, <laughs> yes, you know, it's funny how it was like this analog YouTube. Right. Like you would get uh -huh. this video and like hand it to you and you go watch it at home and then you tell 10 people and pass the video on. And one of them was Gates McFadden must have. 
you know, been in some dance troupe or, or, or something. And she just did this like six minute video where she's just dancing around this loft. And it's must have been pre track or maybe it was like very early, you know, next gen when she probably was like doing multiple gigs. And it's just funny to watch because you're like, Dr. Crusher, I'm <laughs> moving like that. Get me all excited. That's how um, the like here, watch this. And I watched it with my friends and then we, you know, wouldn't shut up about it for a while was how I first saw South Park. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. That Christmas, that fucking Christmas. Yeah. Thing, the man. Christmas thing with Jesus and Brian Boitano. Oh, my uh, God. Oh, yeah. I, I was tripping the first time I saw that. I was it tripping in my apartment. That was my version of pre-gaming. And I was I had like an eighth of shrooms and someone came over and was like, watch this. And I remember I actually had, I was like, I need to see that again. I can't remember if it was real. I was like, <laughs> I don't know if that was real or not. Well, are you a next gen? Like, are you a, are you a big Star Trek person? I know we talked a little bit about this last time, right? Uh, I, probably, but I'm, um, I, you know, I'm just coming at it from the perspective of being a movie fan. So I've yes. seen every Star Trek movie, some of which are actually, you know, An pretty good. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, you're uh, the, the first. Uh, what was it like? The first six uh, Star Star Trek movies. The the uh, pattern was that every other one was good. Yeah, the you know, the, e the evens were good. The yeah. odds, uh, the odds were weird. Yeah, uh, and, even uh, though three, I would argue there's a there's a thing with three that sort of because it's part of the two three four trilogy, it has this weird exemption. Okay, for me, even the three is terrible. I mean, three, like three, truly is an epi a, sh a movie that is like, hey, did you watch like the B side tracks from the original series? They brought back this like old ass actress to play Spock's like priestess. <laughs> you're like, what's like who thought at Paramount that this was a good idea? <laughs> I don't know. They just threw such weird shit at the wall. Cause like part four, you know, everybody loves, but I, I'm not crazy about like, you know, when they have to ride a public transport and they, yeah. have, you know, and they're sitting next to a guy with a, a, a silly Mohawk and looking, the you know, guy. they're looking at each other weird. Like oh, I've got pointy ears, but you've got a dumb haircut. And, um, and then and he's then back in the... Picard season two. <laughs> Is he? Yes. They got on the bus. Don't oh you remember to get on the bus? They, they got that guy back. That's hilarious. <laughs> like all many years later and, and he, and he's now just older and has that same dumb. Uh, it was even kind of a, wasn't it sort of a faux hawk or at least one that had been like uh flushed up to the point hawk. of not being as scary, you know, like a mohawk supposed to be? Yes, yeah, so well he has sort of had like the he had the look of like a redheaded Jewish boy, but who got like a a, a mohawk. So he had the sort of like a nice Jewish boy who has like a punk look. That was what I remember about him. <laughs> but then there was the lady with the whales who like, it all became about whether or not she was going to get to say goodbye. So that was, a, to me, it was also like oh, not really a God. concern Jillian. that a Star Trek fan oh, would have. Fuck. With fucking Jillian lady. and God, George and Gracie. And she's like, how did you know? How do you know she's pregnant? And my favorite is when they go out and, and Shatner, <laughs> they do the pizza order and he goes, I'll have a Michelob. <laughs> <laughs> there are lines that he does in that like my friend did a little uh, too much LDS in the 60s it's like but the Michelob the way he says Michelob 
is like, I remember as a kid, I was like, I want to drink Michelob. It's so weird. We've talked about this before, the meet your heroes thing, but Shatner is such a particular enigma to me because like, I am so entertained by him and yet find him repulsive at the same time, <laughs> you know? And what, and how like, do you describe his hands? Oh, like a stress ball. And I mean, oh, blood right. soaked, <laughs> like, like shaking a squishy blood sausage. That's what they look oh, like. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it yeah. matches this whole, uh, you know, his face is like, kind of like that too now. You know, it's just red and oh god old and, and just angry. The fact, that, the fact that he's like, I just love when he's like, he's like, is your pep, is your pep machine dirty? Do you have a dirty, stinky pep machine for your breathing at night? I can't breathe for shit because I'm 90. <laughs> You're like, wow. <laughs> Wow, yeah, and he, uh, you know, and he went to space, and when he came back, uh, they said, "How was it?" And he just quoted, like, practically quoted the song "Rocket Man." He was like, "I've never been more lonely." Like <laughs> <Yes. Yes. laughs> <laughs> he already knew from "Rocket Man" how how isolating and sad it was going to be, but he still went. <laughs> <laughs> he still went up there, and I just, I just, I, I just imagine. That's like the thing is, is like he has the energy. We talked about it. It's true. But he really does have the energy of like my Canadian grandmother. There's this thing about certain men like Shatner and Trump who happen to be people I could both do impressions of. But like <laughs> but, but there is this sort of like the old macho man who becomes sort of like an old grandmother energy, this sort of like. And it tends to be sort of beefier guys who, as they get older, the maybe the testosterone must just like leak out or I don't know what, but they just become so like grandma. And I don't know how else they have grandma energy. And Shatner has really real grandma energy to me. Well, because they're lasting, you know, like what you, grandmas yeah. usually live 10, 20 years lo longer than grandpas. Yeah, that's so what the it ones is. that do hang in just become grandmas also. Yes, but Biden has the energy of like a grandfather, <laughs> a grandfather who like, you know, you took away the privilege to drive a car and yet he keeps coming and fighting you for the keys. <laughs> they That's... keep saying they, they like the, the, the GOP's big line of attack and it's not, a, you know, they're not entirely wrong is that Biden's too old. And then during the State of the Union address, they're sitting there screaming stuff at an old man. Uh -huh. They think he's too frail to be president, but they also scream shit at him the whole time. And guess uh -huh. what? He gave it. He gave it as he good as he got. Them. Like he didn't. He didn't lose control of the situation. He didn't get upset. <laughs> no, he's. Let me tell you right now. Biden is employing. It's interesting because I, I don't doubt for a second that there are probably issues there and everything, but I don't think they're as pronounced as, as people think. And and I, I do think that I actually talked to on my live stream a, a, a person who specialized in stutters, right, in speech pathology. Right. And one of the things that can happen with the stutter is uh, as you get older, aphasia can start to sort of also um, sort of settle into your speech pattern so that you not only have, all, you know, because the, res the the tools you use to sort of s push through stutters can actually have the sort of incidental effect of starting to draw up a sort of um, almost um, it intentional aphasia. So you end up sort of saying the wrong word for something or whatever, because part of your skill set of getting of going out of that stutter was to like focus on one part of the word or think of an associative word to like pivot to 
right? If you start to like get into a thing. So some of the stuff I think he goes through is probably, you know, the decline. I mean, anyone that has a parent in their late seventies or eighties is like, you know, okay. Yeah. That there's a little bit of that. Um, even with someone who's really active, there's going to be just hiccups cause we decay. But, uh, I do love that he does. He is doing the sort of very kind of, it's a very classic move that I think people don't recognize about Biden. And I'm not, a, I am not some like, you know, big, like go blue, vote blue or who, you know, go home or whatever kind of guy. <laughs> but I do like politics and I like sort of assessing it within the matrix of what it is and within the matrix of what it is. He's um, he's uh, he's a pre Clinton Democrat. He's a, a pre triple, uh, you know, uh, D triple C Democrat. He's of the Mondale Gary Hart world. And so there's a sort of liberalism in him that's different than the watered down. Let's give away the store liberalism of of the Clinton years. Right. And so I think uh what you see is these moments where he's they knew they were going to interrupt. That's what I always love, too, is you don't think everybody there's a million people advising him when they do that speech. They know that they're going to interrupt and whatever. <laughs> so they yeah. have this plan to pivot it. And he did a rhetorical trap by letting them get so worked up. He actually was able to rhetorically trap them into a commitment on national television that they will have to break. They can't they can't <laughs> stick by it. So it's people don't, I think, get the value of of small things like that that seem very incidental in the moment. And then no, I, he's a man that's willing to play the games, yes. which, you know, in some ways, like Obama was not, you know, and uh, and yep. then that leads to less progress. I mean, Biden is getting so much shit done. By trying to, he's trying to get a million things done, but he's fortunately he's getting like a hundred done, you know. So like, you know, things are happening uh, oh, yeah. that are positive out of this administration, but you know, still everybody's takeaways is he's old and you know. <laughs> yeah, listen, you know, it's always like everything could be better. Everything could be better, obviously, and there's a lot of things that are disappointing that are not better, than, you know, than where they should be. But it's like a mix where you got to be like, this is the world I exist in. I can't just like also deny the world I exist in. I mean, that was one of the great moments today was uh, Jimmy Dore blocking me on Twitter. <laughs> Whoa. That was one of the great fucking moments of my life was finally that dirt bag blocked me. Why did and, it take him uh, so long? You know, I don't know. I, I, I think it was sort of a, um, a, like a wall collapse. Like I started really going after the gray zone people. And it's very weird because some of those people I, I know, like I know Aaron Mate and don't, I don't get it. Uh, but and my thing is, I don't care. You can think whatever crazy radical shit you want to think or whatever. I, I, I don't really, that stuff doesn't bother me. It's like the way people be like, they need to take Joe Rogan off the air or whatever. It's like, I don't know. Do they like, what does it matter? Like it's you push back against people when they say terrible things and it should all come out in the wash. I'm not someone who really thinks that banning people or things of that nature does anything, but actually make it grow. Um, yeah. But right. But there's, there's yeah. instances like today all over Twitter is trending uh, bullying works uh mm. because well, uh, everyone everyone, everyone's so excited <laughs> that AMC backed off of or not AMC uh, Netflix Netflix is backed off of 
you know, they were going to just make really well, make it so you couldn't share, share your password. And uh, you had to sign in once a month to prove that you were, you know, still even signing in yourself. And uh, they've already, you know, because the backlash was so strong, they've already, you know, taken that back and they're not going to do it. And that, and that's where I think, you know, everyone loudly complaining about these things really can well, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's like they float these ideas almost on purpose to see, well, let's see how much backlash there is. And of then we'll course. make everybody happy by backing off of it. If, yeah. uh, if well, we'll raise the price, we'll raise the price of Netflix a dollar and distract everybody by saying we're not going to let them share the passwords, then back down on that. And then everyone's paying an extra dollar and not complaining about that. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, I mean, that's like bullying works. I mean, really someone should have, the hashtag should have been, and I'm again, this is not me believing this, but this is like the free market capitalism works in that sense. Right. This was enough. People went, Hey, fuck this. And then it was enough of a movement to pull it off. You could argue, for instance, even with Spotify, they spent all this money on Rogan, right? They're not seeing, I mean, I know this in multiple ways. They're not seeing the return that they want on that investment. And they've just had to fold their entire podcast wing. So like, is there, is the cause, is the, is the problem in terms of money and how people, you know, spend it at that level and who they pull on. And then, okay, let's say there's a lot of people who are like, we can't stand what Joe Rogan did. So we want to pull him off. And this is just an example, you know, then, um, then that, that groundswell will happen. Like Alex Jones, Alex Jones crossed the line, right. To a degree where what he did was in the eyes of the law judged, um, slanderous and, and there was recompense that needed to be made. Right. That you could argue is, you know, how things work out to pay someone back for bad behavior. And then the other end of it is sometimes someone twists us the wrong way, right? We're not into them, but that doesn't mean that they have created the grievous act of like, you know, crossing the line. Like for instance, like Jimmy Dore, I mean, do does it bother me that Jimmy Dore exists and like has a platform? Of course it does. Does, do I think that means he should have his platform taken from him? Uh, you know, that's for private companies to make those decisions. Right. But I can at least call him the, the you know jerk. I think he is on my thing <laughs> and and, you know, and, and the manipulator. And quite frankly, I think uh, one of the the tip of the spear of really setting leftism back, like making it making it evangelicalism, the people's party and all this stuff being such a just a money grab. And it's sad. It's like sad. To, to, to prostitute people suffering for a money grab, you know, I mean, there's yeah. no way, there's no way you can tell me that you can stand on the same stage with a guy not, like Jason Hinkle, who uses the tired white supremacist line about slavery, about how, well, you know, people in Africa sold people into slavery. So therefore, uh, you know, why, why should we be blamed for it? When, when, and that's not me. That's Jason Hinkle saying that. Okay, just be very fucking clear. It sounded like you, you saying it. No, no, no. Wait you a minute. Said it. That sounds like the promo. This sounds like the promo out of context promo clip. Yeah, we're um, we're gonna edit that. And put it up top. But like, but it is like amazing. That's such a tired. It's like I brought up Morton Downey Jr. Right. It's like that's a tired line that's been said by dumb assholes since. I was a kid 
right? That's a tired mm-hmm. old line. That's not a new idea. And yet, you know, people, I mean, hey, listen, you guys want me to talk, so I'm, I'm talking. <laughs> uh, this is your fault, just so you know. This is all your fault. Um, that, like, it's like, well, there you go. So, so there's, there's a bunch of other folks sitting there saying, oh, we represent the left's causes. And, um, and that's then what people see. That's, that's what people who are defining and maybe do have money to put their money places. They're going, Oh, I guess I'll put my money here. And, and that's, that's where I think, you know, so anyway, I'm glad he blocked me. So I don't have to, you know, <laughs> I mean, and now I just have to use my shadow puppet account to find videos to, you know, show on my show. <laughs> shadow puppet, sock puppet. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't know the exact terminology, but, uh, um, we got to take a break. No, no, let's keep going, man. No, we got simmering. We got to let somebody else talk. Uh, so we're going to go to uh, some adverts, and uh, we'll be right back. Welding instructor Alex Declare knows VR training platforms like Forge FX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. We're back. <laughs> and for those of you who missed the sound of Anthony's voice. <laughs> That's nobody. Here he is again. <laughs> so uh, Doug had a question uh, that he wanted to ask you um, that he thought of between last week and this week. You want to? Go ahead and ask him, Doug. Sure. How is it uh, owning a pet <laughs> that I turtle? Exist? What's 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 pet turtle life like? What's is that pet... true? Wait, you, you mean, I, I read that you I read that you own a pet turtle. Yeah, is Tootie, that uh, true? turtle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I own I own a tortoise. My wife and I actually. I mean, I should say that my wife is the one, the origin of Tootie the turtle is uh that my wife's roommate's ex-boyfriend had this tortoise in like a shoebox in the basement of a house and they were like you know the father had bought it and then just like put it in the basement and this thing somehow fucking survived and so she rescued it and was like no absolutely not so they brought the tortoise to her apartment and this is when we were dating and um so you know i had a box turtle growing up that's my mom now still takes care of it's like four oh my years god old. yeah we're a weird family of longevity <laughs> pets like my mom had a parrot a red lord amazon and that thing lived from 1968 to not to 2007 and oh it was my like god. oh yeah it, and it grew up like it like was a lot you know thought i was its child and like would preen me and stuff um <laughs> I know, uh, but Tootie behind me uh, in in my area here, here. In fact, I mean, for you guys just to see uh, this coffin like thing that you see, uh-huh. yeah, that is that is the turtle's uh, cage. Oh, okay. And so the oh, one of those turtle coffins. It's a turtle coffin. So it's basically a huge. <laughs> it's a huge um, environment with two covered areas. Um, tortoises are different than turtles. Tortoises are, uh, I don't, it's not like I'm, I'm not like the, the guy from the tonight show 
what's his name? The guy used to come. Oh, Jack Hanna. I'm not Jack Hanna, but <laughs> this tortoise, much like my wife, uh, her background uh, is from is Pakistani, so it's uh, from the desert. So it's very cool with really hot and cold temperatures. Um, we think I think we did blood test and, and Tootie's a, a girl and um, she just sort of chills out and gets very active. They're actually quite fast. Like you can take her out and put her on. Uh, you know, I know Paul F. Tompkins loves turtles. And so I like I made this video for like a sketch show or like a variety show one time. And it was sort of a take on like a a uh, Sesame Street, like those like you know, sort of soft videos they used to show when you were a kid, you'd kind of like watch oh, yeah. like a rabbit in its day. So I did one on the turtle. Uh, so she's like quite active and then she'll just estivate for part of the summer and she'll hibernate for part of the winter uh, and does her thing. But, you know, wait, so tail. how old is this, this, this turtle? Let's see. Well, we know that she's at a minimum 17, 18, oh, let's say God. 20 years old, probably. So when when a turtle is estivating, that means that it's listening to the music of Gloria Estefan. Yes, yes. So it listens to Gloria. It listens to Gloria Estefan in the summer, and uh, and then hibernates uh, in the winter. Uh, and if I could think of a good hiber pun, I would, but I can't. <laughs> I can't think of anything that that is a band that's hiber. Well, you know, Doug asked such a hardball question uh, <laughs> with that. It was such a gotcha interview question. It was a uh, total gotcha question. Doing the research and finding out about your turtle situation. Um, I didn't uh, do any research to lead to my question that I have okay. for you. Yes. Um, you know, that's the great thing about having you on two weeks in a row is I'm, I, you know, that first time I didn't think of this. And now, now that I have, I can address it or ask it rather, but, um, um, what is the, um, you know, when are we going to get more, uh, what we do in the shadows? Ooh, uh, well, you're going to get more, but, uh, I don't know. I mean, I actually legitimately do not know when it will come out. What I know is, when the pandemic happened, we had this weird thing where we ended up shooting season three in the beginning of 2021. And then we shot season four at the end of 2021. So <clears throat> we were trying to write the production schedule because seasons one and two were always filmed August through uh, December. So that you got, you know, the dark, you got more dark time. Right. And, um, so then uh, obviously 2020 fall, we did not film. So uh, as they've been correcting the airing schedule, it feels like uh, they're sort of maybe rolling it back. So my guess is maybe in the spring, like it would seem like this would be the year that it would start to come back in the spring, like sometime in April or something. Uh -huh. Last year it aired in the, Fuck it, like in July, which I don't. I my thing was the year that it that season three aired in the fall made the most sense to me because I was like, what we do in the shadows should be around Halloween. But I'm not yeah. a Fox. I'm not a Fox uh, programming executive, so I don't or FX programming executive, so I don't know. Um, but I know what's what can I say? Uh, we got picked up for seasons five and six. That's public. So uh, five hasn't even come out yet, and there's still six to come. Uh, and but not, you will be getting it soon. 
but as a, a, a as a recurring character on that program, yes. Uh, do do you ever worry that they're just gonna write you know, me off. suddenly up and murder you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Every year, <laughs> every year, uh, I wonder whether I will come back. Um, I presume now at this point I don't because I feel like they would at least do the honor of killing Sean on the show and not like in between seasons. Right. It wouldn't be like, Oh, that guy passed away. What a shame. Yeah, no, that, that I would, that would seem pretty strange based on the level of, of, uh, involvement I now have in the show. Yeah. Um, uh, Paul, I think at one point I said to Paul, I go, Paul Sims, you know, showrunner, And I said, I go, uh, is this the year you kill Sean? He goes, why? He goes, why would I, why would we do that? We can't kill Sean. <laughs> I was like, all right. I was like, that's good to know. Um, but you know, I think it is. It's interesting about that show. Is one, it's the, a show that you know, as an improviser, you get a hand in sort of giving a little bit of the direction of it, like a little bit, right? But it's nice to just act in something and not have the responsibility of like understanding why it happens or like what goes on, you know, like <laughs> yeah. why you know, that you just get to be told, do this, show up and say this at this time. I, I really am like, wow, actors have the easiest fucking job on the planet. Um, <laughs> it's like, and they're like, why well, to think about the characters? Like, Oh God. Okay. So, um, all right. Like, like that's still easier than having to think about a world and have it make sense and write it down. Um, so like I feel like uh uh the writers do such they really do do such a great job and I've had like people who are my improv students who are keeping me employed <laughs> cuz they're now writers for the show. So like it's <laughs> one writer Sarah Naftalis who was a student of mine. I mean I remember her. she was like in like three oh, classes wow. of mine and then one day they're like, oh, Sarah wrote this episode and she said she was a student of mine. I was like, no, I was like, that's Sarah. I was like, holy shit. And so that's like the best. I would say the best thing of doing this show or doing any show, like three busy Deborah's with, you know, Mitra and all of them is all the students that you had who were really good, quirky, wonderful people who now are actually up and coming and not old like me and they will hire me. <laughs> so that's what I'm really thrilled about. But, um, you know, uh, 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 the fun thing about the show uh, has been also that there's so many Brits there and the, the, the British sort of like, it's like half and half. I think it's half three Americans, three Brits in terms of people who like hang out and we spend the most time together. So it's interesting also how much you learn about British culture that like you just didn't know existed. Like I had no idea there was a channel Four dating show where they reveal someone's genitals. Oh yeah. I had no <laughs> idea. And Matt and Natasha were like, well, they, you know, Matt was like, I really, I really want you. Have you seen this? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm like, what is it? He's like, just wait, just wait. he goes. And he kept making the point of going, my nan on a Friday, on a Saturday night, my nan can see this at 10 PM. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so you want And So like, I like the cultural exchanges that we, <laughs> that we have with each other. <laughs> So, so you but, just answered yeah. my follow-up question. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, it's fine. Because yeah. it's, it's just going right where I wanted it to go. 
because I wanted to ask you as a person who does impressions. Yeah. Um, like, do you, what comes first, like figuring out that you can do that voice or deciding to do a voice and then figuring it out? Generally, I would say it comes from sort of like, I like, it, I would say mostly it comes from making fun of something, right? Or like, or it's either like a mix of like, you want to make fun or you want to portray something accurately. So you sort of try the voice on, right? So like, uh, if I do Shatner, right, it's out of necessity. It's like probably because I like, you know, wanted to emulate Shatner when I was younger. I found it funny. Hold on. Now let me talk this out. No, you know, ultimately <laughs> I would actually say that, um, that's a weird answer. I feel like sometimes it's because you can do the voice and you figure out you could do the voice. But since I am not like, I would not say I am an impressionist impressionist. Like James Adomian is an impressionist. That's a person whose skill is unparalleled, right? In his ability to take someone and do them. To me, that's like impressive. Uh, I would say not to be like, I'm like this, but like him, but I think I identify more with like, maybe like the way that Dana Carvey or like Phil Hartman would take on an impression, which is like, maybe I can't do it a hundred percent accurately, but I can sort of paint a picture of a character. Now James can do both. He could both paint a picture of a character and do it incredibly accurately. I could do some of that, but like when I did a variety show, you know, uh, and I was doing a weekly show and I had to do different things. I'd be like, all right, I've got to try to do my best Gene Hackman. That doesn't mean I can do a good Gene Hackman, but I have to find at least one hook that would work for that. Right. Or, right. Um, you know, so sometimes you do concept pieces where you're like, okay, I can do this, but only around this way. Um, like Shatner, like Shatner is the only one for me where it's like, I finally feel like my Shatner has fit with how I do him. He's aged into my impression. Cause I think I do Shatner like, like old Shatner, like when he was, did the whole thing, right. Where he's like, you know, like I looked out on the earth and I saw that pale blue dot and it made me breathless. That's like very old, right. Old Shatner. I can't yeah. do like TV. Like I can't do Kevin Pollock's like, Oh, what about the, you know, the world as we go. Like I, that like is so cartoonish to me. That doesn't feel like sitting in the pocket of like a real voice. Even if it just is real in your head is really great. So Trump, I had to learn though, because Trump to me, when I started him was very cartoonish. And I wanted to know how to do him really well. And then I felt at a certain point, I still believe this. I think they actually were doing me. <laughs> I, think like, I think he actually started doing my version of him um, because it kept sort of feeding back and forth. Um, but then, yeah, I don't know. You know, it's like, and also I tend to do impressions of things like, you know, you know, I'll try to do Patrick Stewart. You know, I like doing Patrick Stewart, always talking about fighting Moriarty on, on the, on the holodeck, you know? Yeah. Uh, but do I think I do like a great Patrick Stewart? No, I think I do like a serviceable impression. Also my Patrick Stewart and Matt Berry are not that far off from each other. They're basically <laughs> general British guy. 
I will say Matt shakes his head when I do a British accent. Right. Well, that's the other thing I was curious about is you're working with these actors uh, that have, and they're working with you as well. You, all of the characters have, you know, pretty specific voices. Yes. Uh, You know, like they're all people that if you spend a lot of time around, you must just kind of be able to do all of them, but you can't sit around doing them all to their faces. I'll do Matt to his face. I'll do <laughs> I'll do Mark like I can do Mark to Mark. I can tell Mark, you know. But like again, that's like a serviceable. Kvan does people's Kvan Novak, you know, plays Nandor. He's also like a masterful impressionist. Uh, his um, that voice the voice of his character is unlike any other any other ever and he but he still stay he stays true to it at the same time oh, uh, yeah. you know so he still can surprise you with a, a certain inflection or a way of saying something but it's still always very uh very nandor it's amazing well he it's funny too is that one time i played for them you know i have like a line learner app right you know so like i can learn them in the trailer and I do all their other lines, right? And it, then it times it out so that it just plays everything, the cues, and I could just run it over and over again. So I do all of their voices. And one time I hit it by accident. And Matt was like, wait, wait, what was that? What was that? And I was like, oh, it's my line learner app. And they're like, play it. And like, it's me doing all of them in the scene. Oh my God. And they were, you know, <laughs> pleased. I'm not sure. I mean, it is funny. Matt and I knew each other. We not at all. I didn't know him at all. And in fact, like, you know, I am a still obviously a great admirer of Matt's. Like, you know, I watched him from the old Channel 4 shows and, you know, Marangi and and the uh, um, uh, Mighty Boosh, all that stuff. IT crowd. So like getting to work with him was like, oh, my God, you know, this is a pretty cool deal. Right. And uh, then, like, life truly imitated art in the sense of, like, we just happened to get on really well. And then we, uh, I would say, you know, yeah, we sort of have a Sean and Laszlo friendship. I think it's not really. I mean, we have a normal friendship. But, like, there's definitely, like, a hang around kind of vibe uh, that I'm glad we have because it makes the scene work. And when we decide to improvise, uh, makes it very easy, you know? He's, um, you know, that voice is so distinct that, um, now I can't, now I can't remember what company, but he does voiceovers for, in ads now. For some Oh yeah, company. what does he do? <laughs> He's, you know, I, I forget which one it is, but, uh, it's fun to hear his voice in, in that context too. Cause it's, it's just, you know, he's just great to listen to. He is great to listen to. Everybody's, I mean, I, that's a lucky, talk about a lucky gig, man. That's like, that <laughs> yeah. was a lucky job. That was just a lucky job. I, lo- I love the movie. And I remember sitting with my cousin and going, why can't I fucking do that? You know, like, yeah. you know how when you're like sitting, just bitching about why can't you just be in some easy, wonderful <laughs> yeah. thing for once in your fucking life and not like, you know, walking out on stage going, how's that? How's everybody? Everything, everyone good? Look at your dumb faces. Um, <laughs> That's probably not a great opener. <laughs> That's why I don't do a lot of live performing. 
Look at all your dumb faces. You know, I don't have COVID. Um, no, but like, <laughs> but, uh, but like, it's, it, it, that's like the nicest thing is like, you know, it's, uh, it's actually good, which is like a cool deal, you know? And it's like a cool deal to be doing that. Like 30 rock was great, but I know you talk about having done extra work, Doug. It's like, you know, were we like enhanced extras on the show? I guess, but we were extras on the show. So you're like, yes, it's great that I was around 30 rock for seven seasons, but I can't really feel like I can say there's any credit due at all to my turning and nodding and reacting, you know, whereas at least I can, with this show, I can go, yeah, I have a little piece, a little corner of it that like I can say I contribute to, which is nice. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's real cool. And, um, but they do they do pull some stuff on uh they'll just really you know murder the hell out of a character uh yeah i felt bad for the sklar brothers while just one of them because <laughs> they brought them on did you see that episode doug oh no they brought the sklar it, brothers right? on to play like home home repair guys that have a tv show yeah. And then uh one of them <laughs> one of them doesn't make it and it dies pretty <laughs> early on. So the so yeah. they had to decide which scar gets, you know, uh, much yes. much much more lines, you know. So they really had to uh, you know, work it out. But I, you know, I talked to both of them and it was like, you know, it's still a win for both of them that it's so that they're so funny on that show and one of them, you know, dies so quickly. I know I you was know, surprised by that because I we I wasn't there for, they were filming, but like I wasn't on set for that one. So I saw them when we were there and then we went out for the Emmys thing for the panel and uh, we went out to dinner and I still don't know. And I kind of went, I don't want to know what happens in the episode. I said, cause like, I like to watch the ones that I'm not in like fresh and they're like, Oh man, you're going to really like, you're really going to be, you know, and we're all out to dinner and they're sort of talking around it or whatever. And then I went, I watched it and I went, holy shit, they killed one of them like immediately. <laughs> and you're like, that does. I, yeah, what did they say, Doug? Because I would feel like no matter how much of a win it is, you'd be like, uh, because there is a thing about that show in particular, it's a fun set to work on. So I feel like you'd be pissed if you didn't get to be around for a bit. You know what I mean? Right. Well, you'd have to be, you know, prob probably had to be. Uh, you know, they probably both got there a uh, week ahead of time for, uh, you know, to quarantine before starting yes. the work. Yeah. And then to have one of them just like the, you know, I, I, you know, and who knows how it was shot. Like if he, if he, the one who did die, if he ended up getting, you know, uh, still, still almost as many days work as the other, you know, I don't know how they shot, you know, you just don't know how they shot it, but it felt like one brother had a much bigger part than the other. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. and, and it does it does feel like it just came down to, like, uh, it feels like the uh, w which the one who had the mustache at the time probably uh, ended yes. up getting to live because he looked more like a, one of those TV home repair guys. They did that uh, perfectly I, too. That they did the perfect. It's HGTV, such a good episode. Right? It's such. It's yeah. it's like that episode's perfect television because it makes fun of those home repair shows so well, and at the same yeah. time, it's it's not a bottle episode. It's still a real episode of of what we do in the shadows. Mm. But with well, that, they bring things back. 
they bring things back like that's what I like is it's like smart. They like brought something back that I was I was like, oh, shit. And then I was like, oh, that's why he was in town. And I got we had dinner together. Like, I don't want to spoil the episode, but I'm like, that's yeah, yeah. why, you know, it didn't make sense to me at the time, but I was like, sure, I'll get dinner, whatever. And like, we were talking and he's like, yeah, I'm doing this. It's I'm just in for a little bit. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what the hell he's doing. And then you watch it and you go, oh, okay. That's fucking funny. You know? So it is kind of funny to be in the show, but also not like, you know, you're only in the things, obviously you only know about the things you're in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't really share yeah. the rest of it with me. Well, that's what happened to me on uh, on Moonlighting is that um, after being like a person in the office for a while, they started just, you know, uh, having me be a, a stand-in mm. uh, in scenes that I wasn't in. So I would end up just working every day on this show and sometimes be on camera and sometimes just be a stand-in. And... Uh, you know, so that, so at least I'd, I'd get to see all the stuff that was happening outside the office. Cause it would have been weird for years and years to only be around during the office scenes, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it, uh, you say that cause I, we did stand in, there was a thing where we were doing stand in pay on 30 rock where we would do the writer's room scenes. This was season one and two. And they said, Hey, do you want to stand in? Right. And I thought, oh, yeah, you know, because I quit my pizza job. But, like, I quit my, like, waiting tables job and was like, I'm subsisting now on this one show, you know. So I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. And, you know, I forget how much it was a day. But at the time, it was like, this is it. This is the money, you know. And <laughs> um, and then when you realize that all your, like, fuck around downtime just dissolved because now you, like, go from being on set you know, reacting to, okay, now stand here and then do your stand-in work. Okay. And now, okay, we're ready to shoot. Okay. Now you're here on set. And I was like, Oh no, this is too much like a real job. And, I, <laughs> and after season one, I went, I can't do the stand-in. I, I can't, I don't want to do that. And they're like, really? And I'm like, I don't. Yeah. I, I feel like it's too much. I'm missing because you, you're missing all the bits. Like you're missing the bits time. Do you know what I mean? The hangout. Yeah, because like, all the actors leave the business. set during the lighting, so it's yes. only just stand-ins and you know uh, all the uh, grips and. God, moonlighting. DPs. You know, it's so weird. Uh, so the guy, so the people who I used to house it for and would put me up when I lived out in L.A. My mom did the show Hair in Boston. She did the touring company with this woman Toby. Her ex-husband Neil Mandelberg edited the black and white episode, the Emmy winning episode of Moonlighting, the black oh, and white oh, one. And he also <laughs> did the Romeo and Juliet one. I guess there was like a There's Shakespeare, a whole Shakespeare episode. Okay, yeah. so he, he was the editor for both of those. He was a right, but he won the Emmys for those two episodes, I guess. Wow. For editing. He, and he, I mean, I will say he was kind of a prick. <laughs> is he dead <laughs> no just divorced from my mom's friends so i don't care yeah, anymore so you don't care you don't, <laughs> don't care about fucking man i used corn. to steal i used to steal quarters from his like quarter jar to buy weed and encino <laughs> <laughs> i would steal 50 dollars worth of quarters and then go to this place in encino where they had like a pool in the back 
and you know like and the guy had like the really like neon green weed that's what i remember he was like well, great weed you just uh stole another hour of our show and, <laughs> i'm sorry guys and it was <laughs> it was incredible i thought like, oh, if we have him on again, we'll get to all the questions about names. And I thought, what if we just each ask one question, see see what happens? And that's what happened, is it took you the whole hour to answer two questions. I'm the captain now. <laughs> uh, but let's do our, uh, uh, you know, I, obviously, uh, not obviously, but we can't invite you to come back next week because we do have a, another guest booked already. But... I swear I'm going to reach out and, and get you back and ask you the questions that we ask everybody. But uh, anytime you been, anytime this has been delightful. It's been a delight. <laughs> what, uh, what would you like to promote aside from, uh, you know, what we do in the shadows coming back someday, probably <laughs> yeah. spring, probably spring or summer. Yeah. Just coffee with Tony live twitch.tv slash coffee with tony monday through friday 1 p.m eastern 10 a.m pacific i i would guess uh and we do all kinds of fun stuff and uh you should check that out and i'll be in south by southwest uh march uh 9th through the 14th doing shows oh there. fantastic Ooh. that's fun Ooh. yeah it'll be fun yeah well well thank you thank you tony <laughs> we've been not saying your last name the whole show because we were discussing it beforehand but i think i'm i think i'm pretty good at it now okay uh Atamanic. yeah man that's it yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought i could do it i, I panicked but then i i pulled it out you did uh doug mellard what do you got to plug buddy I'll be opening for dan cummins at the empire theater in san antonio february 24th and the Majestic Theater in Dallas, Texas, February 25th. Get tickets now. Oh, I love it. Come on, uh, see us. What about you, dude? Uh, Doug Loves Movies is uh, back at the Dynasty Typewriter in Los Angeles on Sunday afternoon, March 5th. And uh, all of my dates and stuff are at douglovesmovies.com. And there might be, uh, I might have a little crossover. Uh, you know, Doug is already in Austin and I'm going to be uh, at some of South by Southwest uh, uh, as well. So maybe we will, maybe we'll see you there, Tony. Oh man, I'd love to see oh, yeah. you there. And uh, yeah. yeah, thanks again for having me. I, I, this really is a, a lot of fun and it's great to talk with you because I've been a fan of, you know, fan of your, both your stand-up for a while and so that's a cool thing to get to talk to you guys. Oh, thanks, man. I'm going to check, check out some of your stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, oh, and also for the uh, title of this episode, uh, since it's a, a, a second part, I came up with something. Okay. So uh, thank you again. And um, yeah, thank you. Matt, get ready with that uh, closing. It's not even a closing theme song. It's just a quick, uh, quick sting. But as, as always, Doug and Tony show part two: the search for Tony's gold. <laughs> Got it.